1: This is August 27th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and we're back for another week of Bruins Talk. And things are starting to heat up, actually, after last week's episode with Marissa and Jemmy that I did, uh, where we talked about the biggest Bruins disappointments of the past decade, which you should go listen to if you haven't already. But after that, of course... There was uh, Sweeney talking at FanFest. Joe McDonald of the Athletic reported uh, that Bruce Cassidy and the Bruins were engaged in negotiations for a uh, contract extension. So there was some news that broke after. And so things are starting to heat up again. Training camp's right around the corner. Um, I recently had a piece for CLNSmedia.com of the biggest questions facing uh, the Bruins this year, which you should definitely go take a peek at if you haven't already. Um, So this week I had on Connor Ryan who, uh, is with Boston Sports Journal and does a terrific, terrific job. He actually got a one-on-one, uh, and a little exclusive with Don Sweeney at FanFest when he was in Lemonster, um, where they talked about uh, the negotiations between Brennan Carlo and Charlie McAvoy. He talked about Charlie Coyle possibly being on the second and third line. He talked about a lot of different things that I thought were really interesting. So I said, you know, I got to have Connor on to talk about this. So uh, we kind of dove into this really interesting interview that you may not have seen because Boston sports journal is a subscription based publication, which you should definitely subscribe to. Um, but if you haven't already, we go over everything in this in this podcast. I think you'll find this one interesting, just because there's finally things to talk about. And hallelujah for that! So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Connor Ryan. And we're here with Connor Ryan of Boston Sports Journal. Connor, what is up?
0: Nothing much, Evan. What's up with you, man?
1: Nah, can say the same. We're just just counting down the days until the season starts. Um, what have you been doing this summer?
0: Uh not a whole lot, man. I mean, obviously it's kind of a short turnaround with how late the kind of the season ended and stuff. So i much just relaxing, waiting for uh the year to start up, doing what I can to kind of keep the off season content kind of rolling along. Just had to come by when there's obviously not a lot going on with the Bruins. So it's mostly been like just soaking in all the turmoil up in Toronto and how much they're freaking out about their own cap situation and kind of ignoring what the Bruins are kind of dealing with right now because there's really not a good solution there either. But I'll just focus more on Mitch Manor and what's going on up there.
1: It's a, it's a fun thing to watch. It's funny. Uh, you mentioned summer content and I think you have one of the best pieces of summer content, I think around because there really has not been much, mm-hmm. um, at all. So you, uh, caught up with Don Sweeney. Uh, at the Lemonster Bruins Fan Fest. Is that, that's correct, right? Yep. So you caught up with him there and you asked him about a bunch of stuff. Yes. What did you wait for? Did you like hunker down and he passed you and you're like, Don, don't, 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 wait, wait, wait. How, um, how'd you, how'd you
0: get No, shout, shouts to Bruins PR for, uh, setting it up when I was over there. Uh, you know, it's obviously a great event they have out there with so many different players. So I was able to talk to like Jackson Nico was there. So I have something kind of in the works working on that, but uh, it kind of more or less just lucked out that you know, Don Sweeney happened to be there because you never really kind of know going to those things who's going to show up. Like I think up in Manchester, Cassidy was up there for a little bit. Joe Sacco was at the one in Lemonster. I think they just had one in Hartford where it was like a whole bunch of guys. It was like Wagner, uh, Carey, uh, Bjork, a whole bunch of guys. So you kind of never know what you're going to see when you get up there, but it just happened to luck out that Sweeney was up there and thankfully he gave me kind of a couple minutes just to, as you say, kind of talk about a whole different bunch of things that I think people are you can see what kind of plays out over these next couple of weeks going into training camp
1: so Sweeney hasn't been at every fan fest because I know in the email that gets sent out by the Bruins PR staff they don't say who's going to be at each right they don't they don't say everybody
0: it's kind of a crapshoot and I like that's like how it, it, it's honestly kind of worked out for me because I think last year I went to one over in Springfield and they had McAvoy there and that was like obviously a huge draw then so it's you never know you can go there one time and it's like that or it could be just some like random person you never know but regardless of who it is like even it's like to nika people are excited to see him because they have high expectations for what he's going to do going into this training camp so like you really can't go wrong with any one of those ones you go to
1: what i notice with content this time of year is anything bruins people are going to read because there's just nothing happening it's i mean you just we're digging for stuff we're trying to find stuff to talk and write and and all that stuff about
0: all the different all the different shots i can find all the different things that you know, people, you know, guys like Sean Tierney and these other guys who are much, much smarter than me when it comes to hockey or breaking down all these like in-depth stats. And I'm trying to kind of comb through those, anything I can just to kind of keep the the content wheels turning a little bit. But no, it's been tough.
1: Well, cause you're very, your coverage is very analytics heavy. So that's, you know, obviously a pretty, uh, pretty important thing for you. Um, but you caught up with Sweeney and you did two separate, uh, articles. You had a whole interview with him, um, that I thought was pretty interesting. So. Um, we'll start with the McAvoy Carlo stuff. Obviously, you catch Sweeney. If you didn't ask Sweeney about McAvoy and Carlo, I would have been like, please hand me your credential. We are not <laughs> letting you back in. Uh, but you did. And, um, I, I'll read the quote and we'll sort of see what we can take from this. I didn't think there was a ton to take from this particular quote because mm-hmm. he's not going to come out and say all this stuff. I mean, it's, <laughs> and this is kind of what we expected. So he, he said, I will emphatically tell you, um, or no, that's actually what he said to, uh, that's what he said to everybody. Or he said to Tolvo on the video. So here's what he said to you. This is, this is exclusive. Um, it's probably all of the above, Sweeney said, uh, when asked if the league-wide RFA holdup is due to one large domino waiting to drop or looking at more of a case-by-case basis. Quote, I think it's trended this way because that domino could be the one that helps you and your situation. So why not wait? Really, there's no pressure. The pressure points at the start of the camp in the start of the season until December, it's up to the individual player and the team to find the right landing spot, and we'll go from that. We've been in talks," Sweeney added about discussions with both McAvoy and Carlo. "There's been nothing other than constant communication. We're trying to find the right spot. We'll get there. We'll get there at some point." He also said later in the day, or maybe before that, um, that yeah. they'll be both be Bruins for life, so they'll be back. Yeah, at least that at was,
0: right. That was the PR. You know, that was like they did kind of a Q and A with like a whole bunch of fans. So that was the PR yeah. response. But- Regardless of what it is, it's, I'm, I'm assuming that's still, like, their mentality. Like, they're not going to let these guys let go of them in terms of, even with the cap situation. Like, they're still, like, intent on bringing those guys back and getting these deals done. It's just the waiting game is what the problem is, you know?
1: Yeah, so what I take from that is there there's going to be a lot of pressure on Don Sweeney come the start of training camp to get these deals done. Because, I mean, obviously it's going to be a lot of pressure, but, you know, you have to think, He's gotta be feeling it because not only, like, like, obviously he's dealt with David Posternak in the past, uh, mm-hmm. with Tori Krug, he was the assistant GM. Was he the, was he the GM then or was that Shirelli? I think was assistant GM. Yeah, that was 2014. 14. So. so he's been around for this, but I don't recall him being around for two. Mm-hmm. This is big. That's, that's, you know, a third of your defense core is up mm-hmm. for a new contract and you are as tight as possibly can be with this cap. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him come the start of camp,
0: mm-hmm. right? And the the main issue with you know solving those two contracts, is there's so many different moving parts with it because ideally, you know, I think he kind of hit all angles when you ask him a question like that. Where it's you know they're obviously intent on bringing these guys back, and there is like a common ground area. You can look at Charlie McAvoy's contract, and that's the one that can kind of really vary in terms of term and especially average annual value. Because I think what most people seem to expect of what they what they think his new deal is going to be. Is going to be that kind of bridge deal, you know, three year, maybe 6 million, something like that. And then he waits a few years for the cap to really jump up, to really cash in on that big term deal. But as a whole, you know, you still expect a deal to get done, but it's just look league wide in the market. There's just no one's budging right now. And, you know, you can compare it to kind of what's going on with like, you know, Mitch Modern, Miko and Miko Rantanen over and, Toronto Colorado, even though those guys are looking for even bigger money, like Mitch Marner wants three years and $30 million. Like Miko Rantanen's probably going to get a hefty pay raise, but even at guys like, you know, Brock Besser, who's very good player, you know, a top two top six guy, you know, he's kind of flirted with 30 goals before, no injuries who kind of kicked in. He apparently wants 7 million a year. So like you're kind of seeing the stalemate across the league where, you know, you don't want to be the first guy to, you know, hand out that contract that kind of sets the market for the rest of these RFAs. because Let's say Mitch Moner is the one who budgets first, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen. But let's say they get a deal done. They deal with, you know, the cap situation later because they have a little bit of a window. And he signs for $10 million? Like every other GM is like, what are you doing? You know, like, you know, it's tough to compare maybe Moner who had 93 points to, you know, a guy like Kyle Connor or Brennan Carlo or those guys. But still, when you're giving these RFAs, guys who are getting their first taste of a new contract, $10 million out of the gate, like that kind of changed the whole situation. You kind of saw that when the Oilers kind of gave Dreisidel that, that big huge pay raise and gave him, you know, he makes two, two and a half million more than Pasternak does per year or even more like that. I think it's even higher. But like when you have those guys who jump that market so much, it kind of throws everything out of whack. So I think that's why it's just like this game of chicken right now between the agents and, and the teams in terms of finding out who wants to budge first because I guarantee you like Don Sweeney, considering the situation the Bruins have in terms of their cap, in terms of, you know, how much, you know, a guy like Kahlo is worth, who, you know, he's not going to break the bank, but you still, you look at his value, especially in the playoffs of how much he impacts that decor, he's due for a hefty pay raise as well. So when you, you know, factor all that stuff in, Don Sweeney's kind of just stuck in this waiting game with everyone else where it's, all right, you can't, you know, you, if you want to, you can sign these guys right now. You have that kind of, uh, you know, in the cap situation, you can go 10% over your cap limit all the way up through the end of training camp. But then once the season starts, you need to get under that cap space, which if they don't have anything lined up, whether it be trading on, you know, another defenseman or, you know, the, the back steal, which seems like it's unlikely to happen at this point, then you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So there's so many different factors. Like if you drew, you know, if, if like you're Charlie Day and always sunny with like that huge, <laughs> hole, hole ball, like the different, like, uh, like things point to one another, like there's so many domino effects and like angles that can go in when you look at how the Bruins are kind of stuck in this situation that honestly most kind of like escape routes they have in order to sign these two guys without, you know, serious repercussions, there's really not that many of them. Like you either have to probably trade a good player or, you know, there's no like get out of jail free card pretty much that the Bruins can take in order to sign these two guys without taking away from the current core of this team.
1: Did Sweeney say anything to you about clearing cap space for those guys contracts?
0: Not really. I mean, I know when we talked to him back, uh, you know, when the started of free agency, uh, he said that he wasn't concerned about the current cap situation in terms of signing both guys without having to do much of anything, which he said that after they really didn't make too many moves during free agency. I mean, you get Brett Ritchie, Parland home for kind of a good bargain You don't really breaking the bank for those two guys. But still, when you look at the cap space they have, they've got I think around 8.1 million right now, maybe a little bit more to work with, but you have to imagine that Brennan Carlo is getting, you know, at the very minimum three and a half, probably more. I'd imagine three and a half. I, to would, four, I would say
1: three four and five.
0: Yeah, something around that. And then, again, like the McAvoy thing could vary. Like, maybe they get him on, like, some deal where it's, you know, six, seven years at seven. I doubt he would take that. Like, if I was McAvoy, I'd do a three-year, six, six and a half, and then cash out. If he hits like the what everyone projects him to be, and what I'm sure he thinks he is in terms of a franchise defenseman, he could start getting into that nine, you know, nine and a half million dollar range in another couple of years. Especially once Bruins have a little bit more cap to work with. So, but still, when you look at that, you're still looking at probably ten, ten and a half million with about eight point one to work with. Like something has to give. And again, it's a tough situation where it's you know the everyone kind of mentions the David Backus contract and how you can kind of get out of that seems like the options are dwindling there. It's not like there's these teams that have this open cap space before that you kind of unload them in, even if you had to give away a prospect or something to do it. Like, Ottawa already took on Ryan Callahan's contract, so that's a one guy who everyone pointed to as Ottawa, so the team you could kind of dump that contract off to, really not there anymore. So, like, if now you're looking at Kevin Miller, John Moore, maybe one of those guys, or, you know, you can get more drastic, and people mention, like, you know, like Torrey Krug or something like that, which, like, shame on the Bruins if your cap is that bad and you bungled it this much that, like, you have to use Torrey Krug as a salary dump. So that's a dude who very well is going to probably eclipse, you know, 50, 60 points again, be one of the key cogs on a very, very good power play. Like, you don't use that guy as a cap dump, you know?
1: Yeah, I think the only reason they would look to trade him is to get something if they don't have the money to sign him next yeah. off season. But, again, I think it's the wrong move to let him go. Um You mentioned Evolving wild. Uh, projecting the contracts for next season. Carlos, six years, $4.3 million annually. McAvoy, six years, $7.25 million annually. Uh, there's a thing you mentioned, though, in this, in this piece that I think is really interesting, I agree with. Uh, you said it can be a gamble for Sweeney to wait and see what other teams slash players settle on. However, as a jolt to the market, uh, it could put an already cap-stranded B's into an even greater bind. I think if Sweeney really wants to be bold, Maybe setting the market isn't the worst thing in the world for him because then it's like you are in control of the market. You're in control of the cards. Might not be the worst considering he has two very important pieces up. I, um, other teams with two guys up, it's just the Winnipeg Jets, right? Because they have Lion A and Connor. That's the only team yeah. with up, right?
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, so
1: wouldn't guys- be the worst. I don't, I don't think it'd be bad for him to control the market.
0: No, absolutely. And when you look at the two guys, again, two guys who are very, very important to the the Bruins and, you know, their success both this year and years ahead. But they're also not two guys who you expect to kind of set the market for what these other guys are. It's not like you look at most of the other RFAs, are mostly, you know, high scoring forwards. So like, you know, Brayden Point, Matthew Kachuk, you know, Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine, as you said, you know, Brennan Carlo is a, you know, a reliable, like second pairing, like PK shutdown guy. Charlie McAvoy is, you know, a, a budding, you know, top pairing like franchise defenseman. But if you want to bring in, you know, the how he's lost games to injury, which I really don't kind of hold against him because a lot of those are kind of freak injuries anyway. But he's a guy who's not like, you know, I'm trying to think of like a comparable of like, you know, this isn't like if Seth Jones this year is going to hit the market where the guy plays 27, like 27 minutes a night, you know, is already averaging like 40 points, in, you know, a season, something like that. So Norris Trump. You know, that. Yeah, like Sweeney could very well go out and sign those guys, and you know, not really impact the market. Where like another team's like, oh my god, you know, they gave Charlie McAvoy six and a half million on a bridge deal. That's not going to throw everyone else out of whack because you imagine Mm -hmm. Brayden Point, Kachuk, all these guys are going to get paid, if not that, probably a lot more, especially as these high scoring forwards. But I think the biggest issue for Sweeney then is even if you you know, let's say you sign those guys to those contracts where it's, you know, 4.3 for Kahlo and, you know, 7 for for McAvoy, which I I doubt you take as a long-term deal. But say it's something where it's like $10 million combined for next year for those two guys, and you're about $2.5 over the cap. They've got all the way to the end of training camp to go over that cap limit to, you know, to work with. And then kind of, you know, it's pretty much you sign those guys, then you deal with the repercussions later. You have a little bit more of a window to free up that cap space. But then you're going to put yourself in a bad spot because say you need to trade someone. Now a team knows that you need to get under the cap limit. They could like just very much hold you for ransom. Like, Oh, you like, we'll take Kevin Miller's contract, like a team, you could sell, you know, a team on getting Kevin Miller. If he's healthy, where he's, you know, a veteran guy, PK, you know, a tough guy who really can round out a decor. If a team knows that the Bruins like need to get under that salary cap, it's like, Oh, how about another, want to lump another prospect in on that? Like, that you kind of put yourself in a bad situation that way as well. So it's very much damned if you do, damned if you don't, where, all right, you don't want to go down to the wire with these two guys, Carlo and McAvoy, if you're Sweeney, obviously. But then if you also sign these guys early and deal with that cap situation later, it can also come back to bite you. Like there's really no good, like easy solution. There's no like easy like trade they can do just to like free up cap space and sign these two guys. Like, and again, I don't think they're very far off in terms of these negotiations with the contracts. It's not like I think these guys are asking for ten million. It's not like a marner situation. Where like you're hearing, oh, you know, Carlos looking at, you know, Zurich or anything like that. You know? <laughs> but like it's still not a like an easy situation for them. There's so many different angles you can take and positives, negatives, all that stuff.
1: That's kind of what makes it interesting is that there's no set way that any of this is actually going to work. Um, something else I think could come back to Bite the Bruins, uh and, and, and Sweeney spoke to you about this. Uh, so he said, quote, and this is on the topic of the short turnaround he said we 've been in touch with our coaching staff and how we 're going to approach it. keep them off the ice for a while, and make sure they 're good mentally and physically so we 're just going to address it head on and be very, very open and frank about their workloads, but again, the mental part as much as the physical part, I think we have to make sure that we have good communication with them right there he 's hinting at they 're starting the season off slow. I, you know, If you look at the beginning of the uh, beginning schedule i 've said this a couple times on a couple of podcasts um, October looks Awful for them. They yeah. start out West. Now that might help in terms of team building and chemistry, but mm-hmm. on the, in the short term, that's not going to look great. Yeah. Um, and then they come home, they play, they do a home and home with Toronto. They have Tampa, they have St. Louis, then they have the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first game at home is against the devils. That's a good team. So yeah. it is, it feels like it's brewing and, 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 you know, things are going in the favor of, they're going to start really slow. And they did in 2011, 2012, um after they won the cup in 11 and again like people are gonna say well they won the president's trophy in in 13 14 well that was also after a lockout shortened season where with the playoffs and regular season combined they didn't even play a full regular season so um i think they're gonna start slow not just because the cup hangover but that schedule at the beginning is tough and i think what sweeney said to you is kind of code for we're kind of getting the guys ready we know that we're not gonna come out that hot out of the gate
0: Exactly. And that's uh, kind of, I think, goes into what their overall game plan was for this offseason. And maybe you can say they you know, they weren't doing too much during this off season. But when you add a guy like Brett Ritchie, a guy like Par Lindholm, who he kind of talked quite a bit about Par Lindholm and how he fits in there, kind of, you know, what they envision in terms of roster building, where they prioritize now just having guys who are good playing at situational hockey. So he mentioned Par Lindholm. He's not going to be, you know, he's not going to take, you know, a fourth line starting role from, say, Sean Corrales. But if he's a guy you can slot in and take away minutes, obviously injuries are going to happen. You want to limit the workload of some of these guys who have played a lot of games, like, you know, Bergeron, obviously that top line, guy like Krejci. Adding a guy like Lindholm, who's, you know, two, a guy who can play on the wing, at center, left, you know, a, a left stick centerman who they don't really have that many of. Adding guys like that who can kind of slot in and help you out will allow you to kind of, uh, you know, limit the workload of some of those star plays they have there. And you can kind of compare it to what, you know, when they signed Joakim Nordstrom. That wasn't really a, a move that on July 1st, last year, people were going nuts about. And you kind of saw his value as the year really went on in terms of being a versatile guy who, I mean, that dude honestly played most of the year to, like, David Krejci's right, which is wild. Like, But, like, you have guys like that who can slot up and down the lineup. So I think when Sweeney talks about that and that turnaround and the workloads, he's talking, one, about, as you said, I expect them to kind of be pretty slow out the gate, not just because of the the long, you know, postseason run they had last year and guys coming back from injuries and just the general wear and tear, but also it's going to be another training camp where there's going to be a lot of open roster spots and a lot of experimenting with, you know, who's going to go where. I mean, it seems like it's going to be a given that, once again, David Krejci's going to have – a carousel of wingers to his right. So like, that's, that's going to happen again. Third line's kind of going to be all jumbled up. You imagine speaking, you know, with Sweeney, he mentioned that he thinks Charlie Coyle, he's probably best suited for just staying in that third line center role as opposed to being bumped up to a top six wing. So even then though, you know, you have Dan Hine in there who he, you know, worked pretty well with, but he could be a candidate, you know, to be, you know, a, a top six player. Uh, you've got, younger guys like Oscar Steen, who I think people are, have high expectations for out of camp. So there's going to be a whole lot of juggling this entire preseason. And especially, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, a guy like Bergeron or, or crazy really doesn't play that much in the preseason games anyway. So you're going to see a lot of, you know, Zach Seneshan, who I think they're going to give a, a pretty extended look at, uh, you know, in September and guys like that. So there's gonna be a whole lot of moving pieces, especially in the first month of the year. And when you look at, as you said, the schedule they go up against, and they open the year with Dallas, who should be a very, very good team this year. Like, yes. it's, it's not conducive for, you know, a, a strong start where you have so many things and, factors fact, it's kind of working against you. So when you look at, you know, how they're going into the new year, I think it's very much going to be kind of a work in progress, kind of what it was this year, which it's kind of wild that you looked at last year, how much tinkering Cassidy did with his lineup, and they still ended up being one game away from the Stanley Cup, you know, championship. But... Uh, you know, it's very much going to be a thing where I think we're going to go into camp with our projected, you know, lineup and depth charts, and it's going to be completely turned on its head by, you know, October 3rd, whenever their first game is.
1: There, Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that they can do with that lineup. I mean, you could, in theory, you could put Pasternak with Krejci, and you could, you know, put, you know, Danton Hyde with the first line. I mean, there's literally so many things you could do. And people forget about, like, you know, a guy like Anders Bjork, who, like, you know, two
0: years ago looked pretty damn good on that first line with March and, and Bergeron. Like they've got these other guys who are kind of waiting in the wings who could very well, you know, settle into established roles with just, you know, a little bit more of a, you know, a window to work with or obviously Bjork's kind of been doomed by injuries the last couple of years, but there's so many of these guys who you kind of forget about people are focusing, yes. you know, uh, you know, Stadnika and Steen and these guys like Coleman. Yeah, exactly. Coleman who like, was fantastic on that line with Krejci last year. So he's another guy you expect will get a lot of good looks on that, on that group too. So there's a whole bunch of stuff up in the air and like, I, you know, going in do, projecting a lineup shot, seems like it's kind of like a foolhardy move right now. Cause it's going to be, as I said, it's going to be completely flipped on its head by the time we hit the end of September. We're all going to do it though. We all, oh, we absolutely. have to, oh, absolutely. Have to I'm do, I'm do it. I'm working on one right now and I already hate it.
1: We have to do it. Yeah. I haven't started working on it, yet, but we have to do it. Um, uh, you spoke to, you mentioned this. Uh, you mentioned Coyle uh, being a third-line center, but you spoke to Sweeney about this, uh, and and you asked if he would be centering the third line or better suited as a top-six winger. Uh, and Sweeney said, "quote I think it's a combination. I believe we went out and identified uh, that a third-line center role would balance our hockey club, but there are times late in the year where we bumped him up. I think Charlie's more comfortable when he's put in a particular spot. It plays to his strengths. That's what we'd like to do. Maybe that's dictated by who the next guy is." pick a guy, and then he goes through Sanishan Coleman on the wing, Rich, Brett Ritchie, Trent Frederick, whatever. Um, I had initially thought, hey, Charlie Coyle might be a good person uh, on the right side of David Krejci. You can try, you know, Trent Frederick is the third-line center, Jack Stadnica, which is kind of the mm. unanimous pick, uh, at least it seems right now. But when I think about it, Coyle probably would be better suited on the third line because that third-line center, when it was stabilized, they were hot. And then you have three because this obviously – I don't think it's a secret to anybody. The center is more important than the wing in hockey. Hockey 101 right there. So having a better having a better third-line – having a third-line center is better than having a um, second-line uh, right wing that you can pretty much – they have all these guys they can cycle through. If one guy doesn't work, you can move to the next. It's just – if Coleman, oh, he doesn't work, oh, we'll go to Bjork. Oh, he doesn't work, we'll go to Senetian, Oh, we'll go to Peter Slark. Or we'll go to Brett Ritchie. Or we'll go to Carson. I mean, just the list is endless of these people. Right that probably Charlie Coyle would be better suited as a third-line center because, you know, last year they tried Sean Corrali there. It didn't really work. They tried Trent mm-hmm. Fred Frederick. It didn't really work. So I think that maybe having some sta- – you know, stabilizing that third line might be the best bet. And I also think there's some open spots on that third line. You know, Danton Heinen, if he goes up, his spot's open. Um No, I don't really know what's going on on the right side. You can plug a guy in there. So there's a no one knows. That's the funny thing. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, the fourth line set. You know, we know it's going to be Marshan and Bergeron, and probably Pasternak to start at least. I would imagine Cassie's going to move Pasternak down at some point because he t- he was tinkering with the lines all the way up to Game Seven of the Cup. So, but the rest of the lineup is pretty open, and it's and it's funny, you know, um, when I had Dale Arnold on back in mm-hmm. June, I believe, um, I said, you know, who should be the right side, of David Krejci, and he said, well, let's start with Jake DeBrusque who said Jake DeBrus should stay on that line? And I was like, another guy. Oh, my God, another guy. Who, who's No one's safe. And so I think that's sort of the mentality going in is, like, who the hell knows what's going on with, with, the, with the top 12?
0: Right, exactly. Well, And you look at just, like, the areas of strength they have, and you assume once they bring, you know, Mackle and Carlo back, that defense should be set. I mean, they've got guys who are not going to get regular minutes who would average, you know, 16 to 18 minutes a night on a team with a worst décor, So I think you look at that lineup they have, and it's not the right term to say embarrassment of riches, because as you said, you go through some of these guys, and it's not guys who wow you. It's not like, you know, Cam Neely talked about getting a top six wing back in June. Like these, you roll through like, you know, Carson Coleman, Andrews Bjork, Brett Ritchie, these guys. So there's not guys who are going to wow you. But I think if you look at constructing a forward core and you have four centers you can rely on that, especially Cassidy can rely on that can play, you know, at the very minimum, you know, you saw a guy like Corrali and Coyle playing, you know, 15, 16, 17 minutes a night. In those they're given, Charlie Coyle as a third-line center is a very good third-line center. Like Sean, oh, yeah. a little bit as a third-line center last year, he's, an, he's a fantastic fourth-line center with the guys around him. So if you have one way to kind of stabilize your forward core by having four very good centers that especially Cassidy can rely on, because, I mean, you saw last year how ineffective that third line was in terms of finding – a reliable third-line center with, like, Jacob Fosbacca-Carlson. And, you know, Trent Frederick's an interesting case. You see how much he builds on his game. But, I mean, you saw it last year where, like, he would go out there and he would get, like, eight minutes a night, you know, because, like, Cassie just wouldn't, you know, trust him as a a younger player. And how much does that kind of help his development if you have, like, this rotating, you know, group of guys down there that aren't going to get enough reps that, you know, like what, you know, look at Trent Frederick last year yeah, he beat the living crap out of Brendan Tanov and it was awesome. But, like, what what did he kind of gain from, like, playing seven minutes a night up here for, like, you know, whatever stretch of games it was? Like, I don't think, you know, from a development standpoint, I don't think Sweeney wants these guys up here if they're not going to get maximized roles. And I'm sure Cassie doesn't want to use these guys that he doesn't really trust that they're going to not allow him to turn to that third line to kind of spell some of the minutes that guys like Bercheron and, you know, Krejci going to get. So I think if you build your whole forward core around you know, four very good centers, and then you can kind of, you know, slot the other pieces in and around. Like, you have to imagine whoever they're going to put with Bergeron and Marchand is going to be good. Like, there was, like, a whole list of, like, you know, no matter who it was, you know, Brett Connolly. Brett Conley. Rick Powell, Rick durable, Rick All those guys were all like very positive players in the O-zone, and, like, were very responsible away from the puck, like, the line as a whole. Anyone you put up there is going to be fine. Like, they can keep Pasternak up there if they want to, which I think Cassidy will do because I think he just likes that lineup so much. But you can put Heinen up there be great. Uh, you know, Bjork, awesome. Like anyone you put up, there will be good. Then you look at David Krejci, you know, him and, him and Nebraska uh, have obviously been great, but he can slot a few other guys in there. I mean, you know, you put Coleman with them, they averaged like seven even strength goals per 60 minutes, which is really, really good. Like, I don't know, sometimes people don't know what goals for per 60 is like, it, that's a bananas number. And they did that over an extended stretch of game. So like a guy who most people didn't even know, Going into last year, and Carson Cohen was like an offensive dynamo with that lineup, which is nuts. So you got two top sixes that are you can slot guys in that can do very well. You keep coiling that third line. You at least have something you can build off of, whether it's you know you try Anders Gulup down there or Oscar Steen or you know Brett Ritchie, who I think they're very interested in seeing how they can kind of spark him because he's only a few you know seasons away from scoring 16 goals now that was primarily playing with, like, Jamie Ben, which obviously changes quite a bit. But you put him up in, like, you know, Sweeney mentioned him in a top six role, which is not really the top six guy you're looking for, but throw him up there, see what happens. Like, it's a big kind of – you've seen how much David Critchie has thrived with, like, a power forward guy on his wing. Maybe Richie goes off you're Like, who knows? But, like, they at least have the options that, all right, you have a – you know, you can build around four strong center and then mess with the pieces around and – you know, th- this team's going to be very, very good this year. Like They still have all the core guys in place. So you try a few different wingers. You imagine some of these young guys who weren't that good last year are going to get better and better this year. So I still think expectations are high for this team in terms of constructing that roster and finding positive, you know, results out of all of it. But especially if you keep coiling that third line, I think.
1: Yeah. No, it, the, the the Brett Ritchie thing in the top six, I mean, again, Krejci's been so good at working with someone – not as good as him on his right side as pretty much his whole career that it's like, you know, you could also in theory put anybody next to Craichy and and it sort of works. Not to the extent Bergeron Martian have, but it still could work pretty well. So right. I'm in, I'm just interested to see how this all goes down. Um and I like the answers you got from uh, Sweeney. It was obviously a great get by you. Um before I let you go, is there anything you would like to plug?
0: Uh not really. I'm working on a few different things right now, but I think we've hit like the complete dog days of like the last week of August where like, you're just trying to save up, you know, we're only a few weeks away from probably captain's practice, which gets underway before training camp. So I imagine it'll probably be either late next week or early the week after that. So just gearing up for that and we'll be going through a few more, uh, you know, charts and all that fun stuff. Uh, but no, I'm just, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at uh, Connor Ryan. I'm just going 93. I have horrible gifs. I the uh, worst. I, I know, I know you're well, well versed in all the horrible gifs I can make now, but, um, but yeah, no, just follow me on there. Uh, you can follow us at BSJ, Boston Sports Journal. Uh, we'll still have content kind of rolling all the way up to the start of the training camp
1: and subscribe to the Boston Sports. Absolutely. Sports Journal. So that too. It's funny. We, we talk about gifts. We could do a whole podcast on gifts. I mean, I we, me and I mean, you I'm were cool. probably
0: I'm already very excited for the new year. Just I've got, got some stuff schemed up. So. You can only do I, some, you can only recycle so many things after a last year's photon. So you gotta switch it up. So now I'm excited to break out a few Now that I have like the, the thing that I can put someone's face on a gif, like as you're well aware, it's, uh, it's gonna,
1: I know nothing about that. No, <laughs> um,
0: know, but it'll be a fun no, year. i looking forward to it.
1: Yeah. No, it's always fun. We're the only two that really gif anything, right? It's, I don't think there's anybody else. I mean, Pete Blackburn, but like on the Bruins, the beat. It's really yeah. just us, right?
0: It's just us, like as the game is going on, have like a little window open that's like not loading. The TDD gotten Wi-Fi is like, uh, you know, completely terrible. Damaged. Yeah, but that we're that the is ones the work in game to to do that.
1: That's the worst feeling when the stream goes down on your laptop, and you're just like, "What the hell am I going to do now?" Because it's just it's after... the
0: most awful feeling. I think it was after Tori Krug lit up Rob Thomas. And I think, like, my, like, wife, Fi completely crapped out because, like, everyone in the entire, like, garden was, like, tweeting about it. So, like, I was lo- losing my mind. Like, <laughs> like late to two, So, like, you're trying to obviously watch game one, uh, game one, game two of the Stanley Cup final at the same time. But, like, like, goddamn. Like, I was just, like, losing my mind as I was going on. So, looking forward to more again this year.
1: I have to figure out how to put stuff on faces for uh for the gifts because you know, I got I got to be able to counter this. I can't just you know sit here helpless. I got to counter. I look
0: look forward to your submissions then because, uh, you've gotten kind of the short end of this. So I have to pick on like a few other people. You're you're I don't know why you're the target, but I'll
1: just (laughs) because I like being the target. I don't mind it. I think it's fun. It keeps things keeps the Twitterverse going. The
0: stiff on Um, one was too bad, but
1: oh, I thought it was funny. I that took what they take like five seconds to make? Oh, of course, yeah.
0: No, not let's let's be clear, not a lot of effort goes into these shifts.
1: Nothing. There's no effort. It's like whenever I tell people like I gift the whole game, they're like, You gift the whole game? And I'm like, it, it takes like maybe yeah. thirty seconds maximum right. for each one. So don't we're not we're not uh, we're not performing brain surgery over here. Anyways, uh Connor, thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining. Um obviously we look forward to your stuff throughout the year. Subscribe to Boston Sports Journal. Uh, and for CLS Media, I'm Ev Maranofsky. Have a great rest of your summer.